Hey everybody, this is Warren Sharp, NFL analyst over at Sharp Football Analysis. I want to welcome you to the Ringer Gambling Show. Join me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays each week during the NFL season with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. We'll be talking spreads, game totals, parlays, player props, futures, and much, much more. Be sure to follow the Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It is New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. John Jastrzemski, right here from the Barclays Center in wonderful Brooklyn, New York. And let me just say, what a night. I mean, what a night between the two basketball teams that I root for. You could not have had just more insanity, more chaos, more edge-of-your-seat excitement. And I know for a majority of the podcast, you couldn't give Two you-know-whats about Syracuse, but a big win over the Indiana Hoosiers. But the main event at the Barclays Center was tremendous. Great game, fun game, Nets taking down the Knicks. And you wanted to see, first and foremost, from a Nets perspective, are we going to see the real James Harden? We saw the real James Harden. From a Knicks perspective, I think a lot of Knicks fans have been wondering, where is Julius Randle? When is the version of Julius Randle 2020-2021 going to show up for the Knickerbockers? You got that version of Julius Randle. They have put Burks into the starting lineup. Randle is distributing a heck of a lot more, far more efficient, played one of his best games of the year. Now, a lot of the extracurriculars after the fact are going to be about calls at the end of the game, Randle getting in the face officials, doing this, doing that. But on the surface, Julius Randle played an outstanding basketball game for the Knicks. When you get 24, 9, and 8, and he's going to shoot 50% from the field, those are the sort of games that you look at and you try to build on. I will be honest. Midway through the third quarter of this game, when Brooklyn went up by, I want to say, either 14 or 16 points, I thought the Knicks were going to get completely blitzed. I thought they were going to get completely blown out of the building. You credit the Knicks for fighting back in this game. Once again, their bench is terrific. Toppin's making plays. Quickly's making plays. And the Knicks are a different team with Derrick Rose plays. They are just a completely different team. He gets to the lane. He makes things happen. He makes his teammates better. Can't say enough good things about Derrick Rose. And I actually thought the player Burks in the fourth quarter, Randall and what he's doing, the bench and what they're doing, I thought the Knicks had a legitimate shot to pull this out. 
couple of things killed him. That phantom fagazi foul call on Kevin Durant, which the Knicks challenged unsuccessfully. I know you can make the argument. Might have got him on the arm. Nonsense. The officials did not want to blow a whistle. They did not want to call that a foul at all. And basically, the only reason they did is because Durant missed the dunk. Killer play. Randall getting a technical. Now, I still don't know. Remember, I'm here. So I, I don't have the benefit of seeing like 10 zillion replays. I don't know what Julius Randall said to warrant and deserve a technical. But when you consider the way this game broke down, that one point could end up being a big difference. Might change things. Might change strategy. Bah, bah, bah. Then you get to the end of this game. Fournier, who I've been dying, dying, dying to see hit some big shots for this team. Came up clutch in the fourth quarter. Give credit where credit is due. When he bangs that three out of the timeout, fabulous timeout by Thibodeau, you're wondering if the Knicks can find a way to get a stop. This is where I can't get on the officials. Mitchell Robinson has to go straight up. Watching it live, bang, bang, call. Hate to see a game end that way, especially a terrific game like this. But if Mitchell Robinson goes straight up, and I have now watched the final play where you see Johnson go to the line, and of course he ends up knocking down the two free throws. I've now watched that about four or five different times. Robinson didn't go straight up. They're going to call that every single time. Every single time. Tough way for the game to come to a close. And listen, there was not, to me at least, much buzz in town tonight going into this game. Maybe it's because the Mets just signed Max Scherzer. Maybe it's because, you know, we're in late November, fresh off a holiday weekend. I call it like I see it. Coming in the building tonight, didn't feel the buzz. That drastically changed. And the environment in here, listen, it wasn't even close. It was 65 to 70% Nick fans to the point where Harden basically said after the game, oh, man, no, I didn't realize how many Nick fans were in here. You can best believe there were a lot of Nick fans in here to the point where they're getting MVP chance for Randall. You know, they're trying to drown out the Nets fans. It was, it, it's always an interesting dynamic when you have these two teams playing here in this building. And listen, sign me up right now for a couple more games like this. Sign me up for a postseason series between the two. I know the Nets would win, but the idea of the crowd being against the home team, the idea of New York City being against this team of megastars. Sorry for the few Nets fans who are out there. You would be outnumbered. It, it, it would be this sort of element that's at play where you'd kind of feel like the odd man out, even if you're walking around Park Slow, for goodness sakes. But you'd probably see more Nick stuff than you would Nets stuff. But this was a lot of fun. I'm glad I came tonight. You know, that was like my general takeaway, aside from the fact that I bet the Knicks. I needed it after Seattle yesterday. Oh, my God, that I needed it after Seattle yesterday. <laughs> to have the Knicks and have Syracuse take care of business from a uh, wagering perspective, needed but the environment was fantastic. That is something I want to see a lot more of over these next couple of weeks, next couple of months. And here's my positive from a Knicks standpoint. Listen, the Nets, they're 15 and six. They're going to win a boatload of games this year. And if Horton's playing like that alongside Durant, they're going to be A-OK. Knicks give a lot more efforts like the one we saw Saturday in Atlanta and the one we saw tonight against Brooklyn. And you can kind of bring that into playing the good teams that you play. The Knicks are going to be in great, great shape. And they'll find their way back into the postseason. So, fun night all around. Really, really fun night all around. Now, the baseball news is coming hot and heavy. And I, 
I feel like by Wednesday, whenever this official CBA lockout is going to happen, you might still have like the mad rush and the flurry of signings. And, you know, baseball, take notes. Maybe you should always have a signing period like this. Not the nonsense they've had the last couple of years where guys are basically signing in February and in the middle of spring training when nobody gives a hoot. Maybe, maybe you need something like this moving forward. But the big news last night from a Mets standpoint is everybody is basking in the glory of Scherzer coming to town, which, as we documented, it's absolutely fantastic. It's a game-changing type move for the Mets. Baez finds his way to the Detroit Tigers. And this might be contrary to popular opinion, but, I, you know, when am I <laughs> shying away from that exactly? I don't think it's a huge deal that Baez is gone. I, I, I really don't. I think Baez was the guy who was playing for a contract. I don't like the fact that Baez does not get on base. I don't believe for a minute that Baez is going to be a guy that ages well over the next couple of years. I did not think it was an absolute must for him to come back. I thought it was a luxury. I did not think it was a necessity. They were wise to prioritize Scherzer and Starling Marte, in my humble opinion. Because what they can do is, all right, Jeff McNeil moves over to second base. And if you don't end up keeping Jeff McNeil, maybe it's moving Escobar over there. Maybe it's the idea of Cano. I can't believe I'm saying it. Coming back. I know it's going to be cringeworthy to a lot of people, but it's something you have to think about. Or the Mets go and make a play for somebody of the ilk of, dare I say it, Chris Bryant. You can never rule anything out with this owner. It seems like the Mets are out on two guys that seem to be about me, 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 me. And that's Javi Baez and that's Marcus Stroman. And if I'm a Mets fan, I'm not shedding any tears about either one of those guys not being here. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Maybe Baez can go and do the thumbs down to the uh, Tiger fence. Maybe he'll do that in mid, uh, mid-April when it's 35 degrees in Detroit. Not shed any tears over Javier Baez. Now, yesterday the Yankee fan was annoyed. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I was quite annoyed. Not just the idea that Scherzer was a Met. It's the idea that the New York Yankees have done nothing so far this offseason. Nothing. And yeah, I'm worried about it, quite frankly. Because the Yankees weren't good enough last year. It was obvious. It was as clear to anybody out there that they were a notch below Tampa, that they were a notch below Houston, and they got punked by the Red Sox in a wildcard game. The idea of running it back with the same group is an absolute disgrace. They cannot do that. So as the free agents go by the board, Corey Seager got a ton of money, ton of money from Texas. 10 years, north of $300 million, crazy, insane money. You're the Yankees. What am I, what am I missing here? You print money. Do you not? Yeah, it's great. You have a lot of guys under contract. You're the Yankees. You can find your way out of contracts that are not advantageous at the end of the run. I want to hear that mumbo jumbo when this is supposed to be a team that's trying to win and win now. So I am antsy. I am concerned. And I am just trying to figure out how exactly the Yankees getting better. Because right now, what, what, what am I excited about? Gary Sanchez coming back? Whoop the freaking dough. They had no choice. I'm not killing the Yankees on that because who are you going to bring in to be the catcher? My bigger issue is, how are you changing the dynamic and the fabric of the team? The manager's back. 
And so far, I've not seen any change. That's got to change, no pun intended. Cannot think the core you had last year was good enough to get you to a World Series and win a World Series. Can't approach this offseason that way. So it's early. There's still plenty of time for moves to be made pre-lockout, post-lockout, but I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm concerned. I'm anxious. I'm worried because there's a lot on the line for the Yankees if they're going to be a championship-caliber team. The look and the feel of the roster has got to be different. It's got to be different. And the fan base is not going to be particularly happy with me leading the charge if it's same old, same old at opening day in 2022. It can't be. It can't be. So quite the eventful night. And then the cherry on top of the uh, Sunday. Not a particularly nice Sunday if you're a fan of the New York Giants. All of a sudden, there's this mysterious neck injury for Daniel Jones. Played the entire game. Nothing to report after the fact. I mean, I have a buddy of mine. He and his lovely fiance were taking pictures with Daniel Jones. What was it? At the Luke Combs concert yesterday. So, you know, Daniel Jones was enjoying himself last night. Great. But he's got a neck issue. And there are reports out there from Pelissero and Ian Rappaport that are indicating he's not going to play Sunday against the Dolphins. The zero blitz and Mike Lennon. Good luck. Good luck. And I, I hope you locked in Miami before that news came in because you're not getting minus three if Mike Lennon is going to be the starting quarterback. So we got a loaded show. Your reaction from a wild couple of days. Got to love after Thanksgiving, and we got a bullet to talk about all the baseball, all the basketball, all the football. So a little bit of a mixed bag potpourri with the voicemails, which we will get to. My buddy, my pal, Ross Tucker, who I heard on Thursday driving back from actually it wasn't driving. It was driving to dessert in between the first half and the second half of the Raider game. So we'll put Ross on, talk some NFL, one of my old pals, going back to the odds on sports days for those of you who were a part of that. Um, and it's Trivia Tuesday. So we got you covered there and we'll have to keep our success rate going. All that and more coming up next. All right, voicemail time. And you guys know what we do. 917-382-1151. That's where you make some magic. And before we get to you guys, good for Tom Thibodeau, who basically destroyed the fact that the free throw discrepancy, 25-12 in favor of the Brooklyn Nets, he's right about that. Now, the call at the end of the game was the proper call and was the right call. But was this a particularly good game from an official standpoint? No, not even close. Not even close. Fun game to watch. Really entertaining. Well-officiated game? No, not so much. Not so much. All right, voicemail time. Let's hit it. JJ, this is James from North Carolina. I need to understand something. Why is Corey Seager not wearing pinstripes? Why have I not seen a press conference in New York with Corey Seager as our next shortstop for at least the next decade? Okay, even the contract a decade, maybe five to seven years. Regardless, he's a left-handed kid, entering bats left-handed, left-handed kid in his prime, can, can tear up Yankee Stadium from right field. It's, it's made for him. He's a good shortstop. We can move him to third later in his career, and he's not Yankee pinstripes. He would be the perfect fit in this lineup. He would be perfect again for Yankee Stadium. He's entering his prime. Yeah, he's had a little bit of injury history, but, I mean, what guy on the Yankees has it? I mean, if we went down that road, we have to get rid of half the roster. So I need to understand why Corey Seager is not in pinstripes. If the reason is how is a cheap bastard, this is more concern 
valid concern that we're getting passed by the freaking Mets, at least in the headlines, and how is sitting back on his laurels doing nothing. Shortstop is not a position to screw around with. I understand we got two prospects. Prospects can be a dime a dozen. You know as well as I do about what, 1% to 2% of them really hit it big as all-stars. He can't depend on that. Step up to the plate, write the check, and fill these holes that we have in the team. 1,000% accurate. And you look at the revenues for the Yankees in the mid-2000s and what the revenues are for the Yankees now in 2021, the idea of the Yankees crying poverty is a joke. It's comical. They print money left and right. They are this international brand. And yeah, it annoyed me seeing Steve Cohen give a starting pitcher $42 million a year. When in the old times, in the golden years of my fandom as a Yankee guy, the Yankees got whoever the hell they wanted. Now the Yankees spend practically. There's like this idea that they want to be the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, you're not the Tampa Bay Rays. You're not. You have the financial wherewithal to go and get a guy like Seager. They didn't do it. Do I think they're going to be in on Correa? No, I don't. So what? They're going to get Trevor Story, who's probably still going to command big money. I don't even think they're going to be in on him. Now, if the Yankees go and get Matt Olson and they go and get somebody that could play center field and a big-time pitcher, then you feel differently. But how exactly is that happening? I want to know how the Yankees plan on changing a team that was not good enough last year. I need answers. Matt Olson's a good start. I'll feel help is a good start. I heard Kevin Kiermeyer. I'd be, I'd be leery of that only for this reason. I love Ms. Pryor. He could pick it in center field. He's a left-handed bat. He's a glue guy. But when you were dealing with the Tampa Bay Rays, which, by the way, they are not going to do. The Yankees and the Rays are not making a trade. I'd be leery. Because Tampa, when they make trades, they fleece you. Just ask the Pittsburgh Pirates. Be careful if you're dealing with Tampa Bay. They know what they're doing. Well, how about the Snell trade last year? Anybody bellyaching about that trade they made? Tampa knows what they're doing. But the moral of this story is the Yankees got to change the team. If you think this team, as constructed, is good enough, you're an idiot. <laughs> Can't put it simpler than that. Who's next? Paging Brian Cashman. Paging Brian Cashman. Wake the fuck up from your nap. Every free agent going off the board. Wake up, Brian. Wake up. Going to bring back the same underachieving team that's going to finish what now? Fourth place in the division? Maybe the Baltimore Orioles will catch us. What a disgrace. Absolute disgrace this team is. Waiting for the fucking luxury tax to see what it is. Give me a break. Team is a fucking embarrassment. Embarrassment. It's been like this since these two sons, God rest his soul, Hank, took over this team. Okay? This team will never win with these morons running the show, and Cashman included. Okay, I told you I wanted this guy gone fucking years ago, and it's just like, let's give this guy a lifetime job. This guy's like the fucking Glenn Saber of fucking baseball now. And that, look how great that did for the Rangers. Okay, this team is lost. Uncle Stevie putting on a show. And the Yankees are looking like the Kansas City Royals now of baseball. Can't sign 
get a sniff of a free agent. Everybody I wanted, Monte, Seager, Verlander, even Sergio, Robbie Ray I'd even settle for. All gone! Disgrace, JJ. Disgrace. Thank God for my bills. Thank God for the Rangers. Because this Yankee team, I'm calling it right now, fourth place, if not fifth place. Later, bro. I sense a lot of anger, and I sense a lot of frustration from our buddy Justin in Floral Park. And, Justin, at least you have a hockey team you can be very happy about and a football team that's got their biggest game of the year coming up Monday against the New England Patriots. Now, does the lack of spending annoy me to no end from a Yankee standpoint? Yes. Yes. Do I think they will ultimately change this team? I do. I do. Guys. They can't be that stupid, right? Can they? They can't, they, they can't honestly. Like, could you imagine if we're sitting there on opening day and basically the change the Yankees have made to the roster is Angelton Simmons at shortstop? And that's, the, and that's basically the only change they made, that they're relying on Aaron Hicks and that they're basically running it back with the exact... I mean, they, they can't honestly be that stupid, can they? I'll reserve judgment on that until it happens. But I am alarmed that I am concerned. I'm going to save my meltdown for the end of the offseason. I'm angry. I'm pissed off. But, like, I'm not in meltdown mode yet. Maybe it's because Syracuse won tonight. I I think that's the only thing that might be saving me from that standpoint. All right, who's next? Yo, JJ, Pete in Westchester here. I'm going to keep it really short and sweet for you today, my bro. Do you think the reason Cashman doesn't have a new deal yet is because he's trying to feel Hal out for what he's going to get this offseason as opposed to Hal not wanting to retain cash. So just curious for your thoughts. I will hang up and listen. You know, that's interesting. I don't know if the Yankees and Cashman have anything on the line, quite frankly, when it comes to this year. Because I think no matter what happens, the Yankees are bringing it back. I mean, Let's think about this for a minute. They extended Aaron Boone off a year where they finished in third place. They extended Aaron Boone. They basically rewarded him with a contract that you would expect for a team that's coming off an American League pennant. If Boone is getting that sort of extension, you're telling me they're not going to bring Cashman back next year? I think Cashman will 1,000% be the general manager. I think he's the general manager basically as long as he wants the job. There have been a whole lot of moves that I've liked over time with Brian Cashman. A lot of moves. Signing DJ LeMayu, bringing in Luke Voigt when he did, the Chapman-Torres move, then getting Chapman back. Like, Brian Cashman is a capable general manager, but they've been way too stubborn. That stubbornness has got to end this offseason. And the dominoes are coming off the board. So, again, the question remains, how of the New York Yankees going to look different going into next year. We know the Mets are going to look a lot different. Think about the guys they brought in their lineup. Escobar, Chana, Marte, Scherzer at the top of the rotation. Like The Mets are going to look like a drastically different team. The Yankees? Not so much. Now, if there's a silver lining, nobody in this division is really going insane as far as spending. But you can't look at it that way. The idea of saying, oh, well, nobody else is really doing a whole lot, so therefore we're not going to do a whole lot. What good does that do you? Last but not least, let's hear it. What's going on, JJ? This is uh, Stuart from Brooklyn. You know, I'm I'm still shocked by the uh, Brian Kelly news. I mean, I still can't put my finger on it. I I, I like throws. But 
But hey, you know, that's who, uh, you know, Brian Kelly is. But what I can say is, um, he changed the culture and it's, it's a different program than from, from 12 years ago. And I was watching, uh, Swarbrick's, uh, press conference and he, he looked, uh, you know, poised as, as usual. But, but JJ, I think a decision needs to be made very quickly. Do not wait two weeks because if you do, you're going to lose your coaching staff and, 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 and the recruiting. And my sources tell me that it's going to be Marcus Freeman. I think it is because it's a no-brainer. And, and John, I'm, I'm going to be all pumped up for the, for, for the, uh, for the football games on, 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 on Saturday to see if Notre Dame could find some way to sneak in. And if they get in, John, they're going to be a very dangerous team that nobody wants to play. Stuart, I'm glad you brought up the Brian Kelly situation because I've been waiting to chime in on this. What an absolute snake. Now, listen, money talks. Money talks for just about anybody in life. But you can't proclaim the way he did about two or three weeks ago that I'm not going anywhere. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm going to be here for a long time. Bah, bah, bah. Well, two weeks later, you look like a used car salesman. And that's basically any college coach in a nutshell. When you think there is a loyalty involved with a particular university, 90% of the time, you couldn't be more wrong. These guys are going to chase the dollar. And that's why it's a joke when you hear the idea that these players can't go and transfer from school to school, but yet these coaches can basically just pick up their bags, say, sayonara, I'm out of here. Even though I recruited you to play for my school for four years, I'm going wherever the hell I'm going to go. I'm glad that the NCAA finally righted that wrong. But that's Brian Kelly in a nutshell. He is a snake oils used car salesman. That's basically what he is. And he's a good coach. But as far as like being this quote-unquote man of integrity, please spare me with that. Spare me. I don't think Notre Dame is getting into the playoff. I can't see it. You're going to need an Oklahoma State loss. You're going to need an Alabama loss in convincing fashion. Like, I don't think Alabama losing by seven. If it's between Notre Dame and Alabama, I still think they'd put Alabama in. They shouldn't, but I bet they do. I can't see Notre Dame playing. The coaching hire is interesting. See, I was thinking it was going to be Fickle out of Cincinnati. That was just my personal guess. Fickle, maybe they call Matt Campbell. Maybe they call Pat Fitzgerald. If they're going to go internal, Freeman is the guy. Highly respected, 35 years old. He's the only guy I could see them hiring for that position. That's still a primo job. And I'm going to throw one more candidate to the fire. Now, you're going to have to wait on him unless, you know, he's going to pull a Bobby Petrino. Would Urban Meyer leave the NFL for that job? And more importantly, would Urban Meyer be able to get the sort of players he wants to get into Notre Dame? That's always been a question. That's why he ended up getting the job the first time around. That's been the job he's always wanted. Would it entice Urban to basically ditch the NFL experiment where he clearly does not belong and say, you know what? Go time. Back where I belong in college football. All right. Trivia time. We've been red hot. We have been red hot. And it's scary because that means regression to the mean is inevitable. That's just the way it goes. So we'll see if there's a little regression to the mean. All right. What do we got? 
JJ, Larry in Florida. Here's a couple for you tonight. Who's the only team in the NFL to have a seven-point lead in every game this year? And the second one is the Mets acquired Marte. He hit over 300 and stole over 40 bases. There's only three Mets in history to hit over 300 in one year and steal over 40 bases the same year. Can you name them? 61, 60 and a half, Knicks. Great game. I'm out. Two fantastic questions from our buddy, the great Larry in Florida. I feel pretty good about answer number one. I think answer number two is going to require some digging. So I'll tell you what that is when we come back. All right. Question number one. A seven-point lead in every game this year. My guess here, it sounds weird, but I'm going to give it anyway. Surdy, I think it's the Minnesota Vikings. One down, one to go. I felt very confident about that answer because they usually get off to good starts. They've played so many topsy-turvy, back-and-forth type of games that it kind of made sense that it was going to end up being the Minnesota Vikings. So I'm, uh, I'm feeling good. What can I say? I'm feeling good. One down, one to go. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky. 300 batting average, 40-plus stolen bases in an individual year for the New York Mets. And yes, Stanley Marte is coming off a year where he hit 300 and 40-plus stolen bases. First guess, Rudy, I think it's pretty obvious. Jose Reyes. That was an easy one. I felt, I felt really, really good about that. Okay, one down, two to go. 300 batting average, 40-plus stolen bases for the New York Mets. I am going to say answer number two, and this is a random one, but he's coming to mind right now. Lance Johnson. Let's freaking go. See, that was the one I had to pull the rabbit out of the hat. I'm fired up about that one. I'm not going to lie, folks, because that, that required some extra mental, you know, intestinal fortitude, which we need every now and again. Who down? One to go. Met player. 300 batting average. 40-plus stolen bases. Very appropriate question, might I add, from Larry in Florida. Very, very appropriate question. I don't think Beltran ever got to 40 with the Mets as far as stolen bases. He stopped running at that point in his career. Suri, I'm going to say answer number three. I don't feel great about this, but I'm throwing it out there. Is it Nails? Is it Lenny Dykstra? It is not Lenny Dykstra. Our first uh, negative answer of the day. Was I on the right track, though, in referencing 80s New York Mets? You were not. This was actually in between um, Jose Reyes and Lance Johnson. Interesting. In between. So Reyes was 2006. Lance was 96. This was oh. in between. In between. Oh. It wasn't Ricky Henderson, was it? No, I I was thinking 99 Mets. He wouldn't have stole 40 bases. He wouldn't have stole 40 bases. Who is the guy on the Mets between 96 and 2006 
that was going to go and steal 40-plus bases. Now, my guy Larry is sitting next to me, and he's having some fun here. So he wants to throw out a random guess. So I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. Is it the great Roger Cedeno? Nailed it. See, that's what happens when you phone a friend. I cannot take credit for that one. I cannot take credit for that one. My guy Larry is sitting next to me. He is well uh, doing a bunch of work right now here at the Barclays Center, and he was playing along with our trivia. And I swear, he did not help me out on any of these questions with that one in mind. He had the answer. He said he wanted to chime in. So I'm uh, taking credit for the first two. I cannot take credit for the last one. There's no way in the world I could do that. Roger Cedeno. That had to be in the 1999 season. Had to be in the 99 season because he stole Correct. a ton of bases that year for the Mets. Didn't think he hit over 300, though. Did not think he hit over 300. All right, my main man, Ross Tucker, who basically has 10 zillion gigs on the planet, um, and he did like three football games in the span of two days because he's just out of his freaking mind. But I love him. He's going to join us next. So now that Thanksgiving is over, we have hit the month of December and trying to figure out who's who in the NFL. Good luck with that. So let's welcome in my old pal. We used to do a spot daily back at my old gig. He's killing it. He's got like 10 zillion gigs, so it's impossible to plug all of them. My main man, Ross Tucker. And Ross, by the way, happy Thanksgiving belated. You sounded great doing the Raider Cowboy game. I heard you for like 15 minutes. And then I find out you're on like three hours sleep after the Ravens-Browns game. You don't stop, dude. Well, two things. First of all, you can't not promote anything for me by saying there's too many to name. What is that? Okay. Well, I was so, going to say, which one do you want me to choose? No, I mean, I I'm could just, go down and I'm list. just messing with you, man. Honestly, just hit me up on social at Ross Tucker NFL. Then you can see the Ross Tucker podcast, the even money betting podcast, whatever. I'm just busting your chops. Um, but yeah, how about this, JJ? I did three games in four days, which is awesome. It's a lot of work because in between those two that you mentioned, I did Houston at UConn college football. Uh, and what's funny about that, by the way, you know, I don't know how many people watching or listening care, but college football is a lot more work than the NFL. You know, the NFL, I already know all the players. I, I don't have to spend that much time like memorizing names and numbers. I know the two deep for every NFL team, certainly the starters. College football, I had to memorize 50 players for Houston and UConn each. On Saturday, so that's the that's actually the tougher one. But I was laughing la uh, on on Sunday night, JJ, because Thursday Thanksgiving, I saw like the most penalties in a game in like I don't know, twenty years, thirty years, something crazy. Ever, I think they just threw another flag down in Dallas. I think they just threw. Another and you know what's crazy? It was the most highly watched game in like thirty years, regular season game. It was a fun game. Listen, aside from the officiating just getting in the way. As far as, like, an entertaining watch, car, Prescott, overtime, like, that's kind of what you want on Thanksgiving. You just want the officials to basically stay the hell out of the way. Right, which they didn't. I mean, you know, I think we all lose sight of the fact there's a decent amount of people that only quote-unquote watch football on Thanksgiving and the Super Bowl, right? They're at their in-law's house or a family's house, games on on Thanksgiving, and then they watch the Super Bowl. You know, people that aren't football fans, right? Like, that's the only time they watch. We're trying to get more of them to watch more often. Uh, Sean Hockley throwing 42 flags is not going to do it. So, I was there for, like, the ref penalty game, Raiders-Cowboys. And then Sunday night, JJ, there were five turnovers 
in the last three minutes of the first half. It was like ping pong. I've never seen that before. I'll never see it again. Lamar Jackson threw interceptions on back-to-back throws. Baker uh, calls a screen and then fumbles the ball up in the air. I mean, I, I don't know what the deal is with me, especially this year, but the games I've called have been wild. And you even had the fat guy touchdown that got called back with Robert yes, Hunt a couple yes. weeks ago in the Miami game, which was probably one of the more nutty plays that counted for nothing all season. Baltimore, though, they continue to find ways to win games. I'm salty. I had the Browns yesterday. That holding penalty was significant to some at the end of the game. Oh, I had goodness. I had the Browns plus four. I had the Browns oh, plus four. If if Bruno. Powers, I literally say, so it's my fault, JJ. I literally say on the radio, in four-minute offense, priority one is not fumbling. Hold it, you know, ball possession priority two is no penalties. You can't have penalties because it stops the clock and it makes it impossible to run for the first down after that. If Ben Powers, the Ravens left guard, doesn't get the hold, the Ravens get the first down, they take a knee. They still win. Formation, we can't. They still win. You and I still win. Everybody wins, JJ, if it weren't for Ben Powers, number 72, the left guard for the Ravens. He's the bad guy. So basically, I should send Ben Powers my invoice (laughs) for my Browns Ravens bet, and I'll uh, send that the way of Baltimore. Ravens have the number one seed. I've seen them a bunch, Ross. I think they're playing with fire. This is not the same Raven team. I respect the hell out of Harbaugh. I think he's a fabulous coach. Jackson, yes, he's thrown the ball a lot better with the exception of Sunday. But I don't look at the Ravens and say, wow, that's a Super Bowl team from what I've seen this year. I just don't So see before Sunday night, they had seven wins. In those seven wins, they trailed in six of them. And they trailed in the fourth quarter in five of them. So you can look at that one of two ways. You can say, man, they find a way to win close games. Or you can say what you said is they're playing with fire. I lean more towards you. I believe in the law of averages and regression when it comes to winning that many close games. You know, there's a reason why people have stats of, when they have a lead in the fourth quarter, lead at halftime, blah, blah, blah. It's not easy to come from behind. The Ravens done it five times. I think that they've gotten their fill this year. Now, they didn't have to do that Sunday night. I don't think they're a great team. I think they're a good team. However, I'm not sure how many great teams there are, period. And in particular, in the AFC, right now, it feels like there's a bunch of good teams. And whoever's playing the best, whoever's the hottest in January is going to be the one that takes it. And right now, it appears that that team or those teams are the New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs. What song was it, JJ? It's like, same as it ever was. Like, same as ever was, man. I mean, it right now, the two hottest teams are the Chiefs and the Patriots in the AFC. And you have New England and Buffalo playing basically two times over the next four weeks. That's going to decide the division. Who knows? It could end up deciding the number one seed. I knew the Patriots were going to be a lot better this year, Ross. They spent a ton of money in free agency. They upgraded the offensive line. Judon is a beast. I mean, he was the best free agent signing hands down. But Mac Jones has come in, and he was like at a central casting for like exactly what the New England Patriots wanted in a quarterback. He's smart. He works the play action. 
Uh, he is a guy that doesn't make a ton of mistakes. And Belichick and Saban are all buddy-buddy. You know he got the game script, the game plan for how to get the most out of this quarterback. Were you expecting this out of the Patriots? Or have you been kind of caught off guard with the way they have really gotten wrong? Thought they'd be better. Thought they would win eight, nine, ten games. Did not, did not think we would see this. Did not think that they would win six in a row and be one of the best teams in the NFL. It's so funny because the knocks on Mac Jones were that he doesn't have any wow physical characteristics and he's not going to give you the second reaction plays that you like. You know, the, those spectacular plays when the play breaks down. You know what, JJ? Maybe he has above average mental characteristics, which enable him to just make the first play. You know, if you know, if you always know what to do initially, you don't need a second reaction play. And that's what we've seen from Mac Jones. Honestly, man, when I watch the Patriots, I got to tell you what's going through my head. I can't believe they all let Bill Belichick get Mac Jones. All the yeah, teams ahead of the them same that needed a quarterback, they, they allowed this to happen. They have nobody to How about blame the but Niners, themselves. Ross? How about the Niners? That, to me, is the team. Because, listen, Mac Jones with the Jets, the situation the Jets have, I, I don't think they'd be a heck of a lot better, quite frankly. Now, he'd be better than Zach Wilson, but I don't think he'd be taking a team to, like, seven, eight wins where we'd be talking playoffs. The Niners, they took Trey Lance, all the physical tools, the big arm, the mobility. They had Mac Jones. I guarantee you Mac Jones is starting for that team. Right well, now. so in fairness, first of all, the Niners are playing really well right now. Se they are. Secondly, they are. they're going to be a playoff yeah, team. Yeah. Too. Secondly, Trey Lance played one year of FCS football. He was never going to be great this year. And Mac Jones was always going to be the most ready to go. However, I have talked to some people, JJ. I don't know if you've heard this, but I've talked to some people in the league, and there are people that believe strongly that when the 49ers made that trade, they made the trade for Mac Jones. Kyle Shanahan wanted Mac Jones. Over time, people in the 49ers organization, I don't know if that's ownership, John Lynch, both people in the 49ers organization encouraged Kyle Shanahan to really take a hard look at the other options. And he still signed off on Trey Lance, but it was not his initial reaction. It was not his initial reason for the trade. I don't know if it's because ownership caught wind of just how much Niners fans hated the idea of Mac Jones because they did. I mean, be before that draft, Niners fans despised Mac Jones like I've never seen from any fan base about a possible draft pick ever. They just hated the entire idea of it, JJ. Well, because they gave up so much. I think that's what it boiled down to. They made all these moves. They're trading with the Dolphins. They're moving up to three. But if you're going to go and move up, you get a guy who could step in right away, and he would have thrived in Kyle Shanahan's system. I don't think there's any question about it. A lot of quarterbacks thrive 
in Kyle Shanahan's system, but neither here nor there. And the Niners got to figure out what they're doing, if Lance is going to be the guy, and try to make the playoffs with Jimmy G this year. And New England, who the hell knows? They're probably going to be good for another decade. Okay, the Jets. Wilson comes back off the injury. The Jet offense moved the ball well with Flacco. They moved the ball well with Mike White. They moved the ball well with Josh Johnson. That has not been the case with Zach Wilson. You talk about the lack of NFL readiness for a guy like Trey Lance. Ross, I think that's what we're seeing with Zach Wilson. Is it time to sound the alarm? Where are you on Wilson in his rookie year? Yeah, I'm not sounding the alarm at all. Um, I think if we've learned anything, it's that there are some guys, including quarterbacks, that you really need to give them a couple years, especially when they go into situations like Jacksonville and the New York Jets in particular. I will say this, though. BYU had a beastly O-line last year, bro. Like, you watch BYU with Brady Christensen and Tristan Hodge. They ran the crap out of the ball, and Zach Wilson had a lot of time to throw. I mean, they had a dominant college football offensive line, and I don't think Zach Wilson is used to the duress that he has been under at times this year, and I think he's gotten a little gun shy at times. I think he's lost his confidence. You cannot do that. He is a – now, I will say this, though. Watching Sunday, he still has some throws, man, where he just grips it and rips it, and you can see the physical the ability top. that just wowed people and those throws. I, I like to see him next year when he's got a full off season. the O-line, they get Becton back. And he's got more time to work with Elijah Moore and Michael Carter. Because the Jets actually, like, they have some exciting young pieces. Of course, Carter plays well, then he gets hurt. Elijah Moore looks like a dude. They have Vera Tucker looks good at left guard. Like, they, they, they had a good draft. They just need the number two overall pick to be the guy. The Giants win as ugly a game as you're going to see. And I guess they should send some bouquets the way Jalen Hurts, who missed the wide open Devontae Smith at the end of the game, throws a bunch of interceptions, could not have played worse. Are the Giants a team you look at with a soft schedule saying, "Mm, maybe they can get on a little bit of a run? Maybe they can get into that final playoff spot within the NFC? Or is there just not enough there offensively, Ross? For you to take that seriously. I know for me, I'm not there with the Giants. I don't see the Giants getting eight. I definitely don't see the Giants getting a nine. I think you're going to have to get to eight if you want to be that final playoff team in the NFC. And the Giants are just not good enough on offense. Point blank. They're not good enough. Correct. I don't feel like that was the start of something for the Giants at all. I mean, they gave up over 200 yards rushing. Jalen Rager dropped multiple touchdowns on the goal line at the end they won the turnover battle they being the Giants won the turnover battle four to nothing with three Jalen Hurts interceptions two in the red zone Boston Scott fumbles in Giants territory and they still only win 13 to 7 that wouldn't inspire any sort of confidence for me if I were a Giants fan at all look I'd be happy that the defense got those turnovers and played better than they had. I like the fact that Saquon broke one. I like the fact that they got Galladay 
more involved, but it still wasn't a game that I come away feeling a whole lot better about my New York Giants. Now, in fairness to them, they didn't have Kadarius Toney, who I think is absolutely ele- – like, if I could have – if I'm playing, like, in the Turkey Bowl on Thanksgiving, if I'm playing two-hand touch football or flag football, Kadarius Toney is my dude. I mean, guy, people yeah, can't touch him. him. Who's catching people him? cannot touch the guy. So I'm actually excited to see when they have Galladay as the big target, Kadarius Toney as the – Human joystick. I know that's Dante Hall's nickname. We need we need a nickname like that for him. I don't know what it is, but we need the human fidget. I don't know. We need something for um, Kadarius Tony. And then I'm going to work on that. I'm going to think seriously. about that between now and the next time I have. How does this on? guy not have a that. nickname? I mean, there's a lot of Giants fans out there. We got to get this guy an awesome nickname. He's going to earn it. I promise. And then Saquon looked healthier. Daniel Jones looked fine. They still just have a rough offensive line. I, I mean it. It's it's really unbelievably frustrating if you're a Giants fan because they put the resources in. They paid Solder. They drafted Hernandez. They they drafted Thomas, who looks better, but they put a lot in, and they're not getting a return on the O-line investment. You know this because we would do a whole lot of spots trying to figure out value, trying to figure out you know, schedules and going through, you know, odds, trying to trying to make some wood over the final five to six weeks of the year. And now we got an extra week to do so. Russ, who the hell is getting this last playoff spot in the NFC? Let's assume Arizona's in, even with the Rams stinking up the joint, and I got serious questions about them. They're in. Packers are in. Bucks are in. Cowboys are in. That's five. I'm going to put the Niners as the six, even though they still got some work to do. At a Everybody who's left, Vikings, Falcons, Cam who can't complete a pass, Seattle, the football team, the Giants, the choice is yours. Who will the final playoff team be in the NFC? So, in fairness, I don't have all their schedules in front of me right now. But the two teams that that come to mind for me immediately are the Vikings and the Eagles. In other words, I think those are... Well, and I can tell you the Eagles schedule. The Eagles basically play the NFC East in the yes. Jets. So well, no, I know the, I know, I do the Eagles pregame. I know the Eagles schedule, but I don't know the Vikings schedule. But the Vikings are 5-6, and six, Eagles 5-7. and seven. And here's what I would say. Those are the two best teams. At, that were like Those teams are better than Atlanta, the Saints, Carolina. And I think that you're not loving playing either one of them if you're the Packers and you're the two seed, I mean, you're not afraid, but the Packers just lost the Vikings. Vikings have one of the best wide receiver duos. Cousins has had a great year. That's a losable game. And the Eagles, the way they've run the ball, they're averaging over 200 yards a game rushing. If they just don't turn it over, that's a losable game too. So those are, those are uh, live, you know, we talk about live dogs. Those are the two live seven seeds for me would be the Vikings and the Eagles. Final one. And you know, he's my dude. I supported him last year and he's been under scrutiny. He's been under fire. Deshaun Watson rumors, uh, the injuries, durability. All of a sudden now, Tua is getting more and more confident. The Dolphins have gone from one and seven to five and seven. And you mentioned this idea of patience with a quarterback. He's now finally got through 16 games as an NFL starter. 
completion percentage way over 65, a lot more touchdowns and interceptions. Seems to be an it factor about him. I know the physical tools are not off the charts, but I feel pretty good about the way he's coming along. Do you feel the same way? Yes, and the most important thing, I am really happy for that young man that he gets the rest of this season to show what he can do. He gets an actual real opportunity. Because if they had traded for Deshaun Watson at the trade deadline, that might not have happened. And I think he is, I mean, look, nobody can have more pressure than Tua right now. Every game he's playing for his job, he knows it. And he's going out and delivering under pressure. Here's where I'm at with Tua. I think he's going to be, I think he's a top 20 starting quarterback in the NFL, or at least going to be. But I think, JJ, he's going to be somewhere between 13 to 20. I think he's, I think that's reasonable. Right. And so, what that, the category that puts you in is you'll always be a starter, but a lot of the fans and maybe the front office execs and owner, will kind of wish they had somebody better. You know, you'll play against the Mahomes. You'll play against maybe Josh Allen. You'll play against the top five, and you'll be like, man, be nice if we had one of those. There's a lot of quarterbacks like that, right? I mean, Kirk Cousins is like that, where he's he's a good quarterback, but every Vikings fan can tell you the quarterbacks right now they'd rather have than him, right? I mean, you can go right down the line. That's where I think Tua's going to live. I don't envision him ever being a top 10 guy. Who are we betting on to win the MVP? You want to talk about a race that is like a t- – who I, I can't figure it out, Ross. Every week it changes. Is it Brady? I thought Allen was the guy. I thought Kyler was the guy before he gets hurt. Lamar's out after throwing four interceptions. You know what I think, Ross? And they're not going to give it to Rodgers. You know they're not giving it to Rodgers after the whole COVID <laughs> thing. There's no – whether he deserves it or not is besides the point. There's no chance Rodgers is winning that award. My gut? Brady torches the soft schedule down the stretch and wins another MVP. We're sick of it, but I think Brady ends up winning another MVP. Yeah, well, first of all, the most valuable player in football this year, I just want to get this out, it's Kenny Pickett, okay? Like, Kenny Pickett from Pitt, I know that's college football. He's not going to win the Heisman, but can you even imagine what Pitt's record would be this year without that guy? People are like, oh, C.J. Uh, Stroud, Bryce wins. Young. Yeah. You know how bad Kenny Pickett would tear it up if he was Ohio State Alabama's quarterback? He's the most valuable player in football this year is Pitt, University of Pittsburgh's quarterback, Kenny Pickett. That's neither here nor there. I think it's Brady, man. I, I think it's Brady. I mean, Kyler missed games. Dak Prescott's not playing as well. Stafford's dropped off. And you look at Brady. I mean, he's 44 years old. He leads the NFL in passing touchdowns in yards. I mean, what are we even talking about? The only reason why it's not a slam dunk for Brady is because we're bored with the guy at this point and his success. We should celebrate it. It's ridiculous. The MVP of the season should be Thomas Edward Patrick, I think he's got two middle names. I don't know what the deal is with that, but Thomas Edward Patrick. That's when you know you're bougie and badass, by the way, when you got two middle names. I don't have two middle names. Why would you do that? Like, when you have to put your middle initial, what do you put? EP? Like, EP phone home? What are we doing? Or you just just write TB12 and you say, (laughs) I'm not even going to bother. I have a brand. I'm TB12. Speaking of brands, Ross Tucker Pod, 
even money. Westwood won. Uh, there's more. Eagles pre and post, but I, I, I think I've given you a decent amount. No, of that was there. awesome. Fair? The key is just follow me on social media at Ross Tucker. NFL. That's what I just did. I took because I was tracking the gigs too. You know, well, you know I mean? what's I funny about tackable. it is I'm literally to the point now where people say to me, like in airports or whatever, oh, you're the press box food guy, or you're the guy that posts pictures of his beer. And I'm sitting there thinking, my parents paid for me, dude, to go to Princeton University, and I'm the press box food guy. Like, that's where I am in life. That's what people think of or me. Or the beer fridge guy. I like the beer, beer fridge. fridge yes, at Ross Tucker NFL, Twitter and Instagram. Share, show me your beers. And uh, press box Sunday night. Thankfully, the Ravens had crab cakes at halftime. I got two because the, the one guy in the booth doesn't eat seafood. I was like, you do now, buddy. Get a crab cake. You're oh, only allowed to have goodness. one. Crab cakes in football. That's what Maryland <laughs> does. Come on. All right, Ross. Thanks for hopping on, buddy. Don't be a stranger. My right? pleasure. So good luck trying to figure out your team to beat in the NFL. I guess you could argue the Packers. Rodgers is playing great. That defense is playing great. Tampa's always a factor with Brady. But the AFC, that New England-Buffalo matchup Monday night and in the rematch a couple of weeks later in Foxborough, that could determine the number one seed. And I know Baltimore is well coached. I know Jackson's fun to watch. That team has been playing with fire all year. I am not a believer in the idea that they're going to go and win multiple games in the postseason, especially when you think about the shortcomings, and you think about Lamar Jackson, the last few years in the playoffs, it's been awful. I can't have the confidence in that. The team that I have circled this week that better come out, take names, and kick ass, the Los Angeles Rams. They got Jacksonville coming in their building. They are the ultimate front-runner team. And I'm worried about the Rams. The Robert Woods. Stafford didn't look great. Beckham has been a non-factor. I know he caught a touchdown. Whoop-de-doo. The Rams look a lot closer to the 49ers in the middle of the pack in the NFC than they do the top spot in the NFC. Do the Rams look like they belong with the Bucs and the Packers right about now? The answer is no. That could change. But, like, this moment, Tuesday night, the answer is no. So, it's going to be a telling couple of weeks in a very, very wide-open National Football League. And... It is not a great slate of games. Just uh, in case you're wondering, good thing we'll be in Miami for the Dolphins and the Giants. Like the one o'clock slate. And I guess I'm going to have to breeze through uh, Eagles and Jets when I'm coming back in the Uber. Good thing for NFL Game Pass. But, I mean, it is a brutal, and I mean brutal, one o'clock slate. Chargers and Bengals is basically the highlight game of the slate. Go look at it. Slim Pickens, as they say. All right, Jeff Money. I hope it's not slim pickings for your card. Hopefully it was a profitable night. What do you got, buddy? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper pick. So for the Thursday night game, I'm going to take uh, the Dallas Cowboys minus the four and a half for the Thursday night game. And for Friday, college football game, I'm going to go with Utah minus the three over Oregon. Okay, so again, the Thursday game for the NFL, I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys. Now as part of the contest plays. And they're minus the four and a half on the Cowboys. And for the conference uh, championship game, I'm going to take uh, in college football, Utah, minus the three. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money. And I don't have a great feel for Thursday night football because there are just so many COVID questions with the Dallas Cowboys 
that the idea of them covering four and a half when they have looked as sluggish as they have looked offensively the last two games, I don't love this game. I really don't. But on the other hand, do you feel good about New Orleans? I actually feel better about them now that they're going to taste some hell at quarterback. Simeon can't move. I mean, he is. Or he looked awful. He looked awful on Thursday. He looked awful the week prior. That is a very, very, very tough game to handicap. I do have heads-up action for you in the Pac-12 title game. I love Oregon. Utah beat them a couple weeks ago. It is a rematch spot. The line is installed as Oregon is a three-point favorite, and yet public money's coming in on Utah, and this line hasn't budged. So I'm going heads-up. And I know I had Utah a few weeks ago. We were celebrating that bet. I thought it was one of my favorite plays of the college football season. So I hate spitting a team that's been good to me, but I will absolutely be on Oregon in that game. Revenge spot. All over it. Give me the ducks. We'll be quacking and we'll be cashing. So I love you, buddy. We will be heads up there. As far as the Cowboys Saint game, because of the fact that everybody's betting the Cowboys, my instinct says to take New Orleans. I don't even know. I, I don't even know who I'm going to play in the game on the side. I really don't. Like it's one of those games that will probably come down to like the final thirty or forty five minutes because. It's tough to have a feel with all this COVID stuff. Is Cooper playing? I want to know that before I make the bet. I know you don't have the luxury of doing so right now, Jeff Money, but I do. I want to know if Amari Cooper's playing. That's a big deal for the Dallas Cowboys. So, my instinct is to take the New Orleans Saints, but I don't love it. I do not love it. We're back Thursday. Old school, new school with Beningo. We're dead even now after I... Basically wet the bed and Beningo went four and one. It is the contest of futility, old school, new school. Basically, what you have is the final playoff spot for the NFC. And it's Joe and I picking games in the NFL this year because I've been awful and Joe has been awful. But he was four and one last week. So I give him credit for that. We'll have all regulars as always. Have a fun Thursday night football game to react to, which we're going to be fired up about. A lot on the line for the Cowboys and the New Orleans Saints. And I guess baseball is going to be locked out the next time we have a conversation. So this is fun from the Barclays Center. We will be back here, I am sure. It's just a matter of when, not if. You know, maybe I'll come for a game that is not Knicks-Nets and I can actually see a Brooklyn Net home crowd. Because I can tell you this, it was not a Brooklyn Net home crowd tonight. Good work, Sarudi. JJ out. Be good, everybody.